Belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for the second week of Advent 2021 is called Creating Space for Joy. The teacher is John Ray, and the location is Clapp Auditorium, Mount Sequoia, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Again, good morning. We're really glad you're here. My name is John Ray, here at Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. Whether you're listening on podcast or here with us in person, we're really glad you're here. So, have y'all ever heard of this thing called the closet theory. So so when Jane and I were first married, we both moved out of very humble, we were living like dormitory type stuff, very limited closet space, didn't have a lot of stuff. Literally when we moved into that little house on Gum Street that we had rented, all of our possessions, except for a few things stashed at our parents' house, easily fit into the back of a truck. One room. That was everything that we had together with that. By the time we moved out, just a few years later, every room was full. All the closets were stuffed. We, it, we had just expanded to the space that we were in. And that's closet theory. Closet theory says that your amount of stuff that you have will expand to the available space to store it. So the idea is, oh, if I just had a bigger closet, I'd have less clutter. just doesn't cut it. Because pretty soon, as soon as you build that bigger closet, within a reasonable amount of time, it is going to be full. You're going to fill it to the capacity with that. And this closet theory has applications beyond just home organization. This happens in a lot of areas in our life. We're always looking to fill space with stuff. Oh, I've got space on my calendar. I need to do something. I need to fill it with an activity. I have space in the evening. I need to fill it with entertainment. Oh, I'm, you know, maybe I'm not quite hungry, but I'm not full, so I need to go eat something to fill with that. We're we're always looking to fill ourselves with this. Now, another thing that Jane has taught me over the years, and Beth, I know you know this as well as an artist, is this idea of white space. And she's taught me to look at art in a way that appreciates the negative space or the spaces where there isn't anything. She said this is one of the things that sets really good art illustration apart is that not every inch of the frame is full with that. But there's negative space or white space around it. I'm terrible at white space, y'all. Like there's something in me that that I like, I, I need to fill this whole thing up. I need to I need to make sure every part of it is used with that. And Jane has been incredible in my life of just saying, hey, cowboy, slow down. Let's just, just pull the reins back on that a little bit. We don't need to fill every moment. comfortable right now, yeah. (laughs) So, I say all that to say this. 
joy in the Bible is almost always something we receive. It's not something we create. It's not something we make. But it's a gift. It's something that's given to us. If we don't have room in our lives for that, if we don't have white space, if we don't have margin, I don't know that we can receive it. It's, it's just water pouring over a closed lid with that. And uh, our experience of joy, or the lack thereof, is a significant indicator, I think, of what we're giving space to in our life, of what we're filling our life with. It's a very uncomfortable question to ask, do I have joy in my life? Because then we may have to start asking, well, why? If I don't, why? Or what am I receiving joy in? And is that really joy? Or is that something else? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And so what I want to encourage us with this morning is, is a way that we can hold space or make room for joy. We're going to use a text. We're going to look at a text that is not a traditional Advent text. This isn't in any of the liturgies. This isn't in any of the, the hymnals associated with Christmas. Or Advent, but I, this season, I think we need this. This season, I think all of us need this reminder. And the reminder is in Philippians 2, which is the great kenosis speech of Paul, the great emptying speech. And in this Advent, we're reading from the message. So if you want to look in Philippians 2, starting in verse 1, Paul writes this to the church at Philippi. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. And it's interesting as I read this, because um, I really wanted to use the message, but I'm like, I don't like that. I don't like the do me a favor thing. Traditionally, you'll read in most of your versions, it says, make my joy complete. But um, Laura challenged me on it, and, and I really had to agree with her. She's, she was like, she was like, no, I like do me a favor, because what it means is kind of the make my joy complete is kind of a passive thing. You're, you're thinking of it as something Paul has to do. This is more imperative. It's like, you need to do me a favor. Like, I need you to do this which changes the whole, it puts the honest of the, de, of the decision on us, not on Paul, in a way. But that word joy is literally in the Greek, the, and it's a chara in the Greek, and it's the same joy that is talking about when he says, hey, enter into the joy of your master. Or when it talks about, when he talks about trials and tribulations, when Jane talks about that, he says, consider it all chara, consider it all joy with this. And then also when it, in Hebrews, when it talks about Jesus, it says consider, when he considered the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So this is, a, this is a thematic element that runs throughout the New Testament. There's this idea of joy being something, one that we pursue, that we make space, but we also receive. It's given to us. It's a given thing. Well, he goes on. He says, Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. I love that, deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. 
Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. Now, a little bit of a reminder, and we need to be reminded of this often. The early church didn't have a Bible. They had Jewish scripture and they had some letters, but they didn't have a Bible. And so the instructiveness, the instructive nature of the early church was usually with song, with hymns. Most of the earliest churches would, someone would come, an apostle, a preacher, someone would come, and they would, and they would teach them to memorize a song with that. What most theologians believe is that this is one of the first, if not the first, song that was taught to the church. So I want you to think about this. The words you're about to hear are essentially the original DNA of the church. This is the seed that was planted in the original communities that the church grew out. And they would sing it. If you've got a printed version, you'll often see these words set apart differently with that. That means that, that it's either quoted or it's sung. There's some, it's not just prose, but it's with that. So this was the song of the first church. Said, talking of Jesus, it said he had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Indeed, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God has lifted him up and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven, on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is master of all to the glory of Glorious honor of God the Father. Y'all, this is the origin. This is the seed of what it means to be an apprentice to Jesus. Is to have that mind. That mind of Jesus. In us. We used a text from Isaiah last week talking about hope. Where he talks about the low places being filled and the mountains coming down and in in this is one of the reasons why I think this is so essential is Jesus doesn't just tell us to do something. Jesus always shows us how. It's one of the, one of the guiding principles of Christianity is that God shows us how. God is not a God on high who tells us to do things and labor to somehow earn his approval or earn this deity's, this far off deity's approval and, and maybe satisfy wrath. No, God comes into existence to show us how to live. We need, to, we need to stamp it at the forefront of our minds. Christianity is not about earning, it's about learning. It's about learning how to be truly human. Truly, fully human, who we are created to be. It is not about earning, it is about learning. And Jesus shows us how. This is the, this is the impetus of the early church with this. So this lowering of the hills... Jesus doesn't just proclaim it. 
or Isaiah doesn't, God doesn't give the words to Isaiah and Isaiah proclaim it and say, now y'all get out there with your shovels and do this and figure it out along the way. No, he sends Jesus. This is why Jesus is the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy. is because Jesus is the mountain lowerer. Jesus is the one who comes off the mountain, sets aside prestige, privilege, power to serve. Jesus himself becomes low. So what do we do in response to that? What do we do as imitation of that? Well, we have to then lower our defenses. We have to also likewise recognize our privilege, recognize our power. And at times, now we're imperfect, right? This is always a process, but we need to set those things aside. We need to learn to set those things aside. But that's challenging to us. In her book, Wholehearted Faith, the late author Rachel Held Evans writes this, and I'm going to repeat, I'm going to read it, because it's a long quote, but it's really, really hits to the heart of this. Kind of the obstacle to us doing it. She writes, God became vulnerable. I can't help but read the story this way. God was humbled, choosing to put down roots in a particular family at a particular time in a particular place. This is even more astounding to me, given that Mary herself was part of the community of Nazareth, which was full of ordinary people who held to bad theology, who gossiped too much, who let political disagreements become wedges between them, who suffered from the first century version of taking an ancient promise, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, out of context, and slapping it onto every yearbook photo and Instagram post. Because, listen to this, because even God was born into a dysfunctional family of faith. And God didn't wait around for ideal conditions before showing up. We don't like to think of God being vulnerable like that. Just as we don't like to think of ourselves as being vulnerable like that. We don't like to think about God needing anyone because what good is God for us mortals? For those of us who know we need others, if God is needy too. It's challenging, but when we work through the initial challenge of it, when we work through the initial offense of it, it is what actually allows us to do it. Is because God has gone first. Therefore, our own dysfunction, our own getting it wrong, our own grasping for things, we can see, okay, God can work even here. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to earn this. I don't have to wait till everything lines up. I can let my defenses down. Now, I want to be quick to say, I'm not talking about being run over. I'm not talking about not having proper boundaries in place. I'm not talking about any of that. But I'm, we know, you know what I'm talking about, I think, when I say this. You know that thing that you hold on to to protect yourself. You know that thing that you hold on to that you say, hey, yeah, I can, I can act my way around it over here. You know, I can seem like I'm giving stuff away over here because this part is easy to give, but this part over here, uh-uh. Not doing that. We all know those places. But when we do that, when we come to that place of spirit-led 
vulnerability. And again, I want to emphasize, this is written in the context of community. This is not some kind of self-help measure. This is not something you're going to do on your own to improve your own spiritual performance. This is done among us, y'all. The church first, but not just among us. When we start to do that, we start to see space for joy with this. And joy is different than happiness. You know, Tim said, you know, it's like the happiness agenda is being shoved down our throat, maybe at no more of a time of year than now, right? How are you going to make somebody happy? You're going to give them the car with the bow on it. You're going to buy them the diamond. You're going to get them the latest toy. You're going you're gonna to make Christmas for somebody. The happiness agenda just being crammed down our throats with this. And look, happiness isn't bad, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to be Scrooge here. I like being happy as much as the next person. But it is different from joy. In ways that are almost impossible to describe, but in ways that are also necessary for our survival. Necessary for our completeness with this. Joy comes, like many things, through the principle of indirect attention. We can't create it. We can't just apply and say, today I will wake up joyful. Especially in this season. And it's something else I want to recognize. Um, I was talking with someone the other day who went in. Um, I don't know about the rest of you the last time you had a physical checkup. But now they're starting to, even if you go in just for your physical, your blood work, they're giving you a, a mental health questionnaire along with it. Starting to recognize that, hey, mental health is just as important as your blood pressure. Where you are with that, right? And, uh, and as the person responded on the questionnaire that they were struggling with depression, they were struggling with just really feeling down, they were struggling with these things, the doctor's response to this person was, I need to tell you something. You are not alone in this. The doctor's response was, most of the people that I am seeing for physical checkups are struggling with the same things that you're struggling. Okay, so this is not self-therapy. This is not, hey, just stick a geranium in your hat and be happy kind of theology. No, this is, this is something different than that. And this is something, honestly, that we have to admit, I can't do for myself. I, I can't just by force of will or vitamins, or a new car, or a new job, or another degree, or a different spouse, or better kids, or whatever, solve this. This is something I have to receive, but we, but it doesn't, again, we talk about this a lot at churches, that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Again, it's about learning, not earning. But effort is implied in learning. We have to give intention to it. We have to make space for it. 
we have to learn to say no to certain things so we can receive the yes. We learn to lay down certain things so certain things can be put in our hands. With that. And I think that's what joy does. And finally, I want to say this. The themes of Advent that we talk about, hope and peace and love and joy, I said last year, and I rarely do this. I really rarely do this, y'all. But I went back and looked at last year's Advent message, and it was pretty dang good. The one on joy. And I preached it. And I rarely give myself code. But it was a dang good message. So it's there in the learning guide. You can go back. But what I talked about was, and again, it was it's always the result of the group. It's never one person's thing. But... um. We talked about how joy ought to be the organizing our organizing emotion. That as believers, joy should be our organizing emotion, the one that we do. But I, I started to think about all these things. These are also diagnosing emotions. Joy, hope, peace, love. They're diagnosing emotions in the way that we, we ask, what do I love? Why do I love it? What brings me joy? Why do I get joy from that? What is keeping me from joy? You're, we're diagnosing, in a way, what those things are so that we can invite God into those spaces and we can invite others into those spaces to help us because we, we can't get them just, again, by our own effort, especially not usually our direct effort. We need effort, yes, but we also, the humility of receiving that through Direct effort, indirect effort is there. You know, here at Grace, we we practice making space for joy in a way that's tied to sacrificially making space for others. This is where why we start with belong, is we make space for others to come in. We don't know what they're going to bring. We're, we're not there to judge. We're there just there to create space for others to come in with that. But then we become together, right? You, you belong first, but through the belonging, then you start to become. We start to be conformed more and more into the image of God. The, the superficiality of gatekeeping religion with all its purported power to make good people or make people right is insufferably inane and powerless compared to belonging. It is only when we belong that we truly can become who we're supposed to be. And that fuels our confession, that fuels our belief here at Grace. So I, I started off um, talking about the, the Latin version of Harry Potter, which Tim will show it to you on the, on the way out here. Um, Y'all, I think, I think joy is kind of like this. I think overall we are a, a society that suffers from a lack of joy. We have a lot of happiness. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we don't. But I do think we suffer from a lack of joy. I think we need to, I think we need to pick up the book again. Learn to read it in a different language. Learn to look at what it really says. Understand what it is. And whenever you start that, you go back to the origin of the story. And the origin of the story is Jesus. 
The origin of the story is Jesus who left everything to come down, to be born among us, to show us the way, God. To show us how to do it. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.